Welcome. This is Crime Noir, a true crime podcast telling our stories. And I'm your host, Candace, and this is Case 19, Mass Murderer Christopher Goins. Welcome back to yet another episode of Crime Noir. I appreciate you guys for sticking with me. Um, before I start today's episode, I like to announce my giveaway winner. And I just want to say I appreciate all you guys who participate. I've already announced it on social media, but I'd like to just give uh, Sunflower Shan a big special shout out for participating in my giveaway. And I'm also thinking about doing another giveaway for Christmas. So stay tuned to that. But let's just get into today's episode. I like to start off with a trigger warning like I do every show that although this episode does not feature explicit language, I do talk about violent um, themes such as murder and sexual assault. Listener discretion is advised. So the story I'm covering today happened um, in Richmond, Virginia. And on October 14th, 1994, Christopher Goins and his friend Barry Scott went to Tamika Jones's house. Tamika and six of her family members were there at that time. Christopher and Barry were both friends with Tamika and her family. Tamika was only 14 years old and was pregnant with Christopher's child. Meanwhile, Christopher was just 20 years old. So first of all, what the heck? Why is a 20-year-old getting a 14-year-old pregnant? Let's talk about it. Tamika had just returned from the hospital because she was having pregnancy complications. Tamika tried to show Christopher sonograph pictures of the baby, but Christopher wasn't having it and he didn't want to look and he was pretty much pissed off that she was pregnant. Tamika indicated that she saw Christopher in the living room of her house while she was in her bedroom. She then heard him talking in the kitchen and then suddenly she heard gunfire. The shots happened so quickly, but then they were met with screams. She heard screams and shooting and crying. And then finally, a single step of footsteps in the hallway. She then heard more shots from within her bedroom. From there, Christopher came to her bedroom and shot Tamika nine times. He also shot Tamika's 21-month-year-old sister named Kenya. Tamika had attempted to shield the baby using her own body. And when Tamika thought Christopher left the apartment, she called the police and asked for help. She told the police who had shot her and also told the operator that he shot anybody that was in the house with her. The city of Richmond police arrived and they found that every single member of the family except for Kenya and Tamika had been shot and killed. Christopher had killed Tamika's four-year-old brother named David, her parents, Daphne and James. He also killed her sister, Nicole, who was just nine years old, and her little three-year-old brother. Tamika's mother, Daphne, was shot four times, twice in the head, once in the wrist, and once in the leg. The shot that killed her was the one to the head, of course. There was evidence that showed that Daphne was shot close range. Her father, James, was shot nine times, twice in the head, and the rest were body shots. All of these shots that he faced were considered lethal. He was also shot close range, and there was evidence that he was shot even after he fell to the ground. David, who was only four years old, was shot in the head close range. Nicole was shot through her heart and lung, and that was also close range. 
Robert received two lethal shots to the head and Kenya was shot on her wrist. Tamika got it pretty too bad too, y'all. She was shot three times in the stomach, three times in her thighs, once in her hand, once in her neck, and once in her shoulder. Mind you, she was pregnant. She had to have a hysterectomy after the shooting because bullets had obliterated her uterus, right ovary, and fallopian tube. When the baby was removed from her uterus, it was dead because it was shot in the face. The police were able to get gun casings from the kitchen. They collected 7.45 caliber casings. In the bedroom Nicole and Robert were shot at, they found two 45 casings as well as various bullets and lead fragments. No weapon was ever recovered. After this mass murder, Christopher went on the run. He went on the run with a chick named Monique and I'm shocked that a chick would... No, actually, I'm not because women do a lot of dumb things behind men. But I'm still shocked that a woman would be partaking in some mess like this. But let's just get to it. And finally, on November 17th, 1994, Monique Littlejohn and Christopher Goins were arrested while in Brooklyn, New York City. They were found in a one-bedroom apartment where Christopher's half-brother lived. It was a well-kept, working-class neighborhood. A $15,000 reward for information leading to Christopher's capture helped generate a tip from someone um, from Richmond, Virginia. 44 FBI agents and NYC police officers swarmed the building at around 5.45 a.m. and they unlocked the door and climbed four flights of stairs to nab him. Initially, Monique was only charged with having drugs without a prescription. They then went to trial and a whole bunch of stuff was uncovered during trial, y'all. So during trial, Tamika testified that Christopher often spent time with her mother and stayed overnight at their apartment with her mother. Tamika and her parents knew that Christopher sold drugs and they still trusted him. Tamika also testified that she wanted to stay with her aunt and leave the home because of all the drug dealing and usage that occurred at her family's apartment. Since Christopher and Tamika were around each other a lot, they eventually developed a really close relationship, which is a side eye from me. And he even allowed her to keep $2,400 from his drug profits. Three years after Tamika and Christopher met, they began having sex. Tamika was just 12 years old. First of all, I'm not calling that sex. A 12-year-old, uh-uh, it's not consensual sex, it's statutory rape, and that's disgusting to me. But anyway, she got pregnant by Christopher in March 1994 when she was just 14 years old. Christopher initially was happy that she was pregnant. However, Tamika did not want to go through with a baby, and he allegedly respected her decision. However, he never gave her money for the abortion like he said he was. One of Tamika's friends, Devon Hicks, testified that Tamika only told him about her sexual relationship with Christopher. She didn't mention it to anybody else. Tamika also hid this information from her mother. So nobody really knew who she was pregnant by, which is I've said this in previous episodes. When a young girl does not disclose who the child's father is, something weird is going on. And I still stand by that. Anyway. There was no evidence to determine whether or not Daphne knew about who Tamika's child's father was. 
Tamika also learned that another woman by the name of Monique Littlejohn, who I mentioned earlier, was also having sex with Christopher. And here's the gag, y'all. She was also pregnant by Christopher at the same time as Tamika. So not only is he a drug dealer or rapist, he's out here getting multiple girls pregnant. Just utterly disgusting. Monique ended up having an emergency abortion due to pregnancy complications in June of 1994. Tamika's friend told her that Monique had asked them to beat Tamika up so she could lose her baby. So Monique wanted Tamika to lose her baby because she lost her baby. That is just so trifling to me. Anyway, Tamika did confront Monique about this and Monique owned it. Monique said she only said these things out of anger but then Monique later went on to say that she wanted to use a knife to cut the baby out of Tamika's stomach because no one deserved to have Christopher's baby if she couldn't. So are y'all following this? Because this is this sounds like a movie like this is so demonic and just evil. I like gagged when I was writing about this. This all occurred in June 1994. Tamiko also testified that after June 1994, Monique never hit her or made any more threats against her. When Tamika was in the hospital at various times between July and October 1994, Monique visited her several times. Monique worked at the hospital where Tamika was getting treatment. She would spend her free time in Tamika's room and ask Tamika if she needed any help being comfortable. Although Monique was attempting to be nice and in their dispute, Tamika never believed Monique was being sincere. And on October 11th, 1994, Monique came to Tamika's hospital room and told her that Christopher didn't want anything to do with the baby. She also told her and Christopher had plans to go to New York on October 14th to live and start a new life. Monique told Tamika to find someone else to love her and help her take care of the baby. Devon testified that on the morning of October 14th, between 8 and 8.30 a.m., he observed Christopher and Stefan Winston on the porch that was leading to Tamika's apartment. He also saw Barry Scott at Tamika's door. He knew that Stefan was involved in drugs, and he told Stefan that he wanted to see Winston. Devon returned to his apartment and got ready for school. When Devon was leaving school, Tamika called him from her window and told him to get to school. At the time, Christopher was talking to one of Devon's classmates and was asking if she wanted to ride to school. Uh, Sounds like he liked younger girls, which is nasty to me. Sherwin Green testified that at 8.30 a.m. on the morning of October 14, he drove his friend, who was a cocaine dealer, to Tamika's apartment. The coke dealer wanted to sell coke to the people in the apartment. When Sherwin and the coke dealer arrived at the apartment, they saw Christopher and Stefan talking outside the apartment. Sherwin indicated that neither of them left the car. They instead waited for Christopher and Devon to leave because they wanted no conflict because they're both all parties involved were drug dealers trying to sell drugs to um, Tamika's parents. When Christopher finally went inside the apartment and was there for a while, the duo drove to a store a couple of blocks away. Tamika also testified that on the morning of October 14th, between 6 a.m. and 9 a.m., Barry Scott came to the apartment to visit her family. Barry came to the bedroom where Tamika was playing with her siblings. Barry talked with Tamika and looked at her ultrasound picture. Barry then left the apartment and returned in 10 minutes with Christopher. While Christopher was in the apartment, Barry then came back to the bedroom and took a look at the ultrasound picture. 
He then took the picture into the living room and showed it to Christopher. Christopher replied, I don't want to see that. Take it back to her. Why are you showing me that? Barry then came back and Tamika was kind of annoyed that he had showed him. During this time, Tamika heard her mom, dad, Barry, and Christopher laughing in the living room. Tamika went to the bathroom. She did see Christopher sitting in the, on the sofa. They made eye contact but did not speak with each other. Then when she came back from the bedroom, she heard more laughter and conversation for about 15 more minutes. Then she started hearing shots and she heard her brother crying, her mother screaming, and then the footsteps of one person entering her bedroom. After he shot her multiple times, she did not hear anything else. She then pretended to be dead and after a while she got up and called the police. Sherwin testified that after he and the cocaine dealer drove to the store, they made calls on the telephone. They got some food to eat and they waited for their calls to be returned. While they were waiting, they saw Monique pull up in her car and then Christopher then got into the car with Monique and they drove away. The police met with Monique on October 14th when she was on her way to work. So let's let's just break this down. Basically, Monique was the getaway driver. She waited for him to smoke her whole family and then came and pulled up beside him and Chris got in the car and she really thought they was about to run away together. Just downright pathetic. So yeah, the police met with Monique on October 14th when she was on her way to work. The police informed her of the shootings and she went for questioning with the police. Monique lied and told police she had not seen Christopher on the day of the shooting at all. She said that she moved to get away from Christopher and he did not currently know where she lived. The police searched her apartment with her permission, of course, and they found men's clothing and various handgun publications. They even found a manual for a Glock 45 automatic. Police also found a safe, but Monique lied and told them that it was already in the apartment before she started living there. So not only is she covering for this murderer loser, she lying, scheming. Oh, just disgusting. So here's the gag, y'all. In the safe, police found Monique's social security card, birth certificate, car title, and an ID card that had the photo of Christopher on it with the alias of Derek Redden. Police also searched her car and they found Monique's driver's license and another ID card in the name of Derek Redden. So basically, they had fake IDs to, or Christopher had a fake ID so he could start a new identity and a new life. They also found a high school equivalency diploma in the name of Derek Redden and the business card of a man named Parrish Davis, who was a taxi cab driver. Parrish had known Christopher for months before the shooting. He testified that Christopher had been a passenger in his cab approximately once or twice during those months of knowing him. He also testified that Christopher was living with Monique at her apartment and he indicated the week before the shootings, him and Christopher had talked and Christopher was pissed that Tamika was pregnant and that he wanted to do away with her and the family. He did not believe that Christopher was actually going to harm her and her family, but he did say that Christopher did talk about guns, specifically a 45 caliber pistol quite often. Paris had also spoken with Christopher on the evening of October 14th after the shootings. 
Christopher had the nerve to ask this man to drive him out of town in the trunk of a friend's car, but Paris refused. Christopher's defense called two witnesses on the stand, Mildred Plummer, and Mildred was an employee of the taxicab company Paris worked for. The company records show that there were no fares for service to or from Monique's and Christopher's address. Mildred did state that Parrish might have provided service to that location, but not reported them to the company. A few days after the police searched Monique's apartment, Monique's mom found a 45 caliber cartridge underneath of Monique's bed, and she called the police. Experts were able to determine that the cartridge had been loaded at the same time and into the same magazine that held the bullets used to kill the Jones family. Renita Pfeiffer, who was locked up in the same prison in New York as Monique, testified that she talked with Monique after Monique learned in a phone conversation that Barry had talked to the police about Monique and Christopher. Renita indicated that Monique confided in her as she was really upset. Monique had told her that they were out to get her. Renita also testified that Monique told her that police found a gun which had been discarded and that Monique was worried because she was unsure if her fingerprints were on the gun. She also said during her testimony that Barry said that Christopher had killed people and Monique knew about it. Renita also said there were rumors that Monique had threatened Tamika and her family and when she confronted Monique about this, Monique smirked. Renita also indicated that Monique was very angry about Tamika and had several bump-ins with her because she knew that she was carrying Christopher's baby. She also said that Monique said she waited in a car parked near Tamika's apartment and waited for Christopher, Christopher on October 14th and that her and Christopher had left together and she indicated that Monique admitted that one mistake had messed up her whole life. First of all, I'm hardly calling this a mistake. Like, let's just stop there. Anyway, Monique was eventually convicted of all her charges. She was convicted with one charge of being an accessory before the fact to capital murder, four charges of being an accessory before the fact to first degree murder, two charges of being an accessory before the fact to malicious wounding, and seven charges of being an accessory before the fact to use of a firearm in the commission of a felony. The defense also called on Jason Williams to testify on behalf of Christopher. During his testimony, he indicated that during the week before the killings, he may have rode with Christopher in a cab driven by Parrish. Jason said that he never heard anything about Christopher killing Tamika or her family. And it was also uncovered in court that Jason sold drugs for Christopher. And it was also uncovered that Christopher was addicted to crack cocaine himself, which is like crazy to me. And another fact is Christopher never actually appeared for trial, but his aunt Paulette Goins Dickerson did take the stand in his defense and testified that Christopher had a rough childhood as his mom used drugs and very frequently in front of him. She basically testified about how hard his childhood was and blah, 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 blah. On June 13th, 1995, Christopher was convicted of multiple charges. He was found guilty for one count of capital murder for killing Robert Jones, four counts of first degree murder, two charges of Melissa's wounding, and seven counts of illegal use of a firearm. He was then sentenced to death. He tried to smoke himself in prison like a coward that he is. 
He tried overdosing on medicine he was taking to help his um, asthma, but he didn't. It didn't go through. So jokes on him. He did appeal his conviction, but they were all denied, and he was at some point granted a stay of execution, but was eventually executed. And finally, on December 6, 2000, he was smoked by lethal injection, which I feel is more than fair because not only was he pervert, a loser, he murdered a whole bunch of people because he decided to get an underage girl pregnant and rather own up rather than own up to his responsibilities, he took the coward's way out and I feel like this isn't a happy ending, but I do feel like some justice was served. This is probably one of the most disturbing stories I've ever heard and it was really um intriguing to read about it because I had never really heard about this but my followers on Twitter were giving me some case suggestions and I started looking up on this one and I was kind of intrigued and I'm just curious to know how many of you guys have heard about this case because I don't feel like it was really publicized I mean I never heard of it so just let me know what you guys think and that wraps up today's uh case I'm going to get into some noir news my first story today is about a NCAA hoop star by the name of Kamaya Street, who was apparently arrested for murder, and cops have video of her involved with the shooting, and she was um, accused of murdering a man by the name of Hubbard Atim. They don't exactly say why she was doing it or whatever, but they do have a video of her, and she played for the Kinsaw State basketball team. And she's just 20 years old. So just really, really sad to hear that two young lives were lost because he was 21 years old. And she was hit with eight criminal charges, including murder, three counts of felony murder, criminal attempt to commit armed robbery, two counts of aggravated assault with a deadly weapon and possession of a firearm during the commission of a felony. And the cops have three other suspects that have been arrested regarding this. They also, her basketball team suspended her indefinitely, which, I mean, makes sense. But she was a pretty big star on their team as she averaged about 21 points per game. And she had five rebounds in the first four games of the 2019 season. So it's kind of sad if she threw her life away um, over something dumb. And I'll definitely be following this one, so I'll keep y'all updated. It seems like lately there's been an influx of Black girls being harmed and murdered and raped and disappearing. And I'm just really sick of seeing stories like this in the news. My heart goes to Nia Blanchard. I won't be going into details with it because it's it's continuing to update it. But I did see a story about one of the witnesses seeing um, Anaya being kidnapped and not calling the police because his wife um, said he should mind his business. And that makes me really angry that he possibly could have saved this girl or the information he provided to the police had he had given it at a prompt time could have helped save her. Um, I'm just utterly disgusted with the lack of disregard for a black girl's life. And I hope that she is found safe, but it doesn't really look like it. Um, They currently have three suspects um, in custody regarding her disappearance. 
and um, some of them have been caught lying. And they also found her vehicle with lots of blood uh, in it, which indicates that some type of foul play has happened. So at this point, although I'm hoping for the best, I am bracing myself for the worst. And I'm just hoping that she can be recovered. Like I said, I'm not going to go too much into details of this. I'm sure you guys have seen it on social media. I just want to offer my thoughts because a lot of people um, ask me what I think about certain cases and stuff like that. And sometimes, y'all, it's really draining to see this stuff and know that a life is lost or completely altered because some sick weirdo is out there. So that's just my um, thoughts on the Anaya Blanchard case. And I'm just going to do one more little noir news and then we're going to wrap up this week's episode. My last story is on a man named Donald Thurman. He was charged with first degree murder and sexual assault in the death of Ruth George. And Ruth was found dead Saturday in a parking garage on the University of Illinois at the Chicago campus. He was charged with strangling her after she denied his advances and he put her in a chokehold when she refused to talk to him or acknowledge his chokehold, his cat calls. He spotted her when she was walking by a CTA blue line station near the campus early Saturday morning. He thought she was pretty and attempted to talk to her and followed her. And once she denied his advances, he choked her from behind. He then choked her till she passed out and had sex with her in the backseat of a car while she was passed out and she died. This is sickening and I hope that he spends the rest of his days rotting away in the loneliest, dirtiest prison cell, smallest prison cell known to man. This man is demonic. First of all, I want to say something and this is just my opinion. I am not a subject matter expert. This is just armchair Candace I believe this man is a serial rapist and let me tell you why I feel like he was on the prowl this man had a condom in his pocket he had sex with her with a condom so to me that sounds like a man that was prepared to maybe not murder but definitely rape somebody or get something from someone and I definitely think this guy has um done this before that is just my personal opinion I do not have facts to sustain this I'm just going off of what I've read that is just my personal opinion he admitted anyway he admitted that he did it because all his DNA and fingerprints were all over a car so he just owned it and they have him on um video footage so he was caught and he basically ruined this girl's life no he took away her life not ruined it he took away her life and for what because she didn't want to be with you because she didn't want to talk to you just utterly disgusting and sickening and I just hope the rest of his days are filled with hell and horror this is the worst kind of person to me this young 19 year old girl lost her life because some sick freak pervert just oh makes me sick you guys I'm not even going to get even any more on a tangent because stuff like this gets me under my skin because young girls can't even deny somebody without fear of losing their lives. But I'm going to wrap up today's episode. I know that the people who like longer episodes are going to be happy because this one's almost almost 30 minutes. So I'm happy to talk to you guys. 
And that wraps up today's episode. I want to wish all of my listeners a happy, safe Thanksgiving. I appreciate everything you guys do by liking my stuff, sharing it, word of mouth. I feel very blessed to have such a community with you guys. I'd also like to announce that I was invited on to Howard's network radio on a show called um, Roses and Thorns to interview regarding crime noir. So I'll definitely be posting that as that comes out. And like I said, I hope you guys have a happy Thanksgiving and I appreciate you guys for listening to me. If you haven't done so, please follow me on Twitter at CrimeXNoir and follow me on Instagram at Crime Noir the Podcast. And like I said, happy Thanksgiving and I'll talk to you guys soon. Bye.